0: Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear. To solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle. To investigate supposedly ironclad truths. To unearth evidence buried for so long, they believed it would stay buried. Season 1. A Cold War-era military base in the Horn of Africa called Cagnew Station. For years, there was an official story about a U.S. intelligence project at Cagnew, codenamed Stonehouse. The project included a pair of 15-story parabolic antennas that the American government claimed was simply part of a powerful radio communications operation. But as the space race with the Soviet Union intensified, that cover story looked increasingly flimsy. By the 1970s, civil war forced the U.S. from Ethiopia, and Cagnew Station closed for good. Or did it? What was Stonehouse, really? What happened at CAG Station between 1974 and 1991 when violence and war gave perfect cover to any shadowy agency, organization, or cabal seeking it? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. For the first few minutes of this episode, you'll hear what sounds like white noise in the background, and then all of a sudden it disappears. After some digging around and intensive grilling of recording studio employees, we are now fairly certain the noise was part of an attempt by the Special Communications and Information Service of the Russian Federation to hear any casual pre-show intelligence about hollow notes that Deborah might throw around. One engineer thought the white noise came from a fan in a corner of the studio that I'd forgotten to turn off before we started recording. But we quickly eliminated that theory because the other one was better. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Edward Mulher. Our guest this week really got me thinking differently about Cagnew. Because of the Stonehouse antennas, these gigantic structures that you could literally see from all over Asmara, the capital of Eritrea, so much about Kagnew has us looking up for answers. You know, was the secrecy surrounding Kagnew about powerful Cold War communications and strategic surveillance, all of which happens via radio waves, all of which happen above us? Was Kagnew really a way for the U.S. to intercept Soviet space research, obviously happening in space above us? Those explanations have always had us looking to the sky for answers about Cagnew Station. But I'm really interested to talk this week with a guest who has lots of thoughts about what might lie underneath the military base. So we'll get to our guest Tabitha in a minute. But first, I'm here with my regular co-host, Deborah. Hi, Deborah.
1: Hi, how are you, Edward?
0: I'm pretty good. What's new with you?
1: Oh, you know, just another week of poor, poor sleep. Oh, tossing and turning, just thinking about Theo's story. It was amazing about Olga reviewing the the tapes in my head, and when I say tapes, I mean reviewing the little inserts in the tape jacket cassettes of my Hollow Notes collection, looking for answers to explain the presence of Olga, both when you play their music backwards but in Theo's story right. Cause something is telling me that she has some of the secrets here that connect both Kagnew with the music of Hall and Oates and Soviet mind control. Wow!
0: Really? So you you've really taken Theo's story and and thought a lot about it. I mean, sometimes we have guests on, and you know, they're powerful, interesting stories, but. It seems like this one grabbed you.
1: Yes, I would say that, you know how you mentioned we're looking to the sky for answers? Mm. I am in the line of work where we look to the heart for the answers which we seek. Yeah. And something about this Olga started playing my heartstrings just as Daryl Hall strums the strings on his either piano or guitar. But instead of, of playing communist propaganda, I started playing thoughts in my head about how it could all be connected.
0: It sounds like you're on the verge of something, sort of a breakthrough.
1: You know, I would agree. It feels like it. And feelings are more important than thoughts.
0: Just a quick note, if you are new to the Cagnu Station story and want some of the background, you can listen to our first episode where we really dive into that or you can go to our website, optophobia.org, for more context. So unfortunately, the guest that we had scheduled for this week, hydrologist Jacob Jinks, was unable to make it today. No real dramatic reason. He just didn't feel like doing the show. So that's fine. That's his decision. Everybody has makes choices. Uh, but it doesn't matter because we have a much more amazing guest this week, Tabitha Walton, who was available and... Agreed to actually join us. Uh, so, Tabitha, welcome to Optophobia. Thanks for coming.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Before we get your thoughts about Cagnu, I know you've done a lot of research. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where you're from? What you do?
2: Yes, uh, my name is Tabitha Tabitha Walton, and uh, I'm originally from Warren, Connecticut. A lovely little small town. Not a lot of people. Less than two thousand, I believe. Um, that's where I grew up. And then, you know, I just decided I wanted to leave the small town. And I I came to the district. I loved the thought of D.C., the big, tall buildings. It was just something I wanted to be a part of. And I came down here and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought politics wasn't for me. So I struggled and I, I finally, after working a temp job for an ad agency... I thought, you know, I need to get my teeth cleaned. And I went and got my teeth cleaned with Dr. Dr. Stephen C. Hopkins. And uh, after that, it was immediately that I knew that I wanted to be a hygienist for him. He was very sweet, very kind, and he took me on almost immediately. He knew that I had a way with my hands, a way with my words... And whenever I spit, I covered my mouth. And that's always good when you're working around patients' mouths. You have to be careful of where your spit goes and their spit goes, and you don't want to spit, you know, cross hairs. Don't want to swap spit. You don't want to do that. It's not good for them. It's not a good look for you. So I started working for them, and it was a good experience, a very good experience. But after what I saw there, I realized it the city, it was too much for me. It felt overwhelming. And so then I made my trek back home. And now I work at, a, at an occult museum in Warren. It's the only one, but it's a good one. I'm proud of it.
0: What kind of ex- uh, exhibitions are in the occult museum? Is it the Warren Occult yes, Museum?
2: Yes. Yes, the Warren Occult Museum. Currently, we're looking at which is who didn't quite identify as witches themselves but they were witches you could tell by the way that their moles were on their forearms and we're looking at their remains because unfortunately they're no longer with us so we have some of the fragments of their bones and those are currently ones on display and people love it they come in and they go oh my god those are witch bones And we go we know
1: I have a question. Of course. In your Museum on the Occult, do you have a section
2: on Michael McDonald?
1: How, because could
2: you, it, how could you have an occult museum without a section on Michael McDonald?
1: Exactly. Yes. His beard and his dulcet tones, neither of which are his own. No. They're not of this earth. I have extensive research. I, it was actually kind of tangential to my the research from my book, I can't go for mind control, parentheses, no can do, and parentheses, colon, Hall, Oates, and the Soviet roots of Blue-Eyed Soul. Wow. I did some auxiliary research on Michael McDonald and other Blue-Eyed Soul artists
2: and found that there's a really close tie to the occult. I would completely agree. Have you done any work or any study on John Bon Jovi? Does he have blue eyes? Because I don't trust that guy. He has blue eyes, but no soul.
0: <laughs> Tabitha, how long were you a dental hygienist in the district oh gosh, of Columbia? Oh gosh, that was
2: from 1978 to 2003. Oh. Yeah, long time. I loved it. Yeah. Saw a lot of people, met a lot of really nice people. People would take me to dinner. I was just a hygienist. I wasn't even the dentist. But after a good flossing, people would take you out.
0: You left dentistry. Yes. To go back to Warren just because you missed home?
2: I missed home a bit, and I also I felt disturbed from, from some of the things that I had seen and heard in D.C., and I retreated. I feel shameful of the wonderful time that I had here, and I abandoned it to run home like a little girl, and even though at that point I was no longer a little girl, I'm not a little girl now, I'm 61 years old, and I just I was afraid. I was afraid. I didn't want to be involved with anything that I had seen with any of my clientele, because I could tell that... They were, they were victims. Huh. Wow. What, what were you afraid of if... I started seeing patients in the mid-80s who would come in and complain about voices that they would hear inside of their brains. People who, to you, to me, to anyone, would seem completely normal. They, they weren't exhibiting any type of schizophrenic behavior, mm. but they were hearing voices. Why? Who knows why? And they would consult with me because they didn't want to tell the dentist because, you know, the dentist is a doctor and a superior and they didn't want to look silly in front of them. And so they would, cons- they would confide in me and say, look, Tabitha, Miss Tabitha, they would sometimes call me if they were, you know, being proper. They would say, I just, these caps, these fillings, they don't feel right.
1: Mm.
2: And I'm hearing voices. And it happened again and again and again. I had multiple, multiple clientele who just, it would either be the back molars or we would look at their charts and say, there's no wisdom teeth here. There's no wisdom teeth to extract. But then there would be a little tiny filament that you couldn't identify on an x-ray. How it got there, I don't know.
0: Did you have hygienist friends who were encountering similar problems in patients?
2: Yes. Oh, God, Margaret. Yeah, Margaret was particularly disturbed uh, by it all. But she made the mistake of going to the papers. She attempted to go to the papers. She had a friend at the Post, the Washington Post, and she reached out to him and I think his name was Daryl. And Daryl, you know, Daryl thought maybe we had something here and they they brought it to the higher-ups and they just thought, this woman is crazy. Something is there's a pattern. Why can it, no one else see it? I'm the only one who can see it.
0: So you told the dentist yes, who you worked to- for about these. Yes,
2: I told Doctor Hopkins. We had gotten very close, and because I had been there for you know, gosh, from seventy eight to was a long time, and so he was a friend. We would share dinners together. You know, we both had dogs. They would share dinners together, and we we were out to eat, and I'm I'm pretty sure we were eating empanadas. And I said to him, I said, Stephen, I called him by his first name, Stephen, Stephen with a PH. And I said, Stephen with a PH, you know, I respect you, but I have to question why this is a pattern we see in multiple, more than just multiple number of our patients, our clientele. And they are afraid. And if they're afraid, why are we not afraid? And why are we not doing something? It's either that. Something is being implanted into these people's mouths, into their tooth cavities. And it has something to do with mind control.
0: Let's leave it right there for uh, a second while we take a break. And when, yeah, when we come back, I really want to talk to Tabitha a little bit more how this is all connected to Cagnoe because that's where it gets really strange. We'll be right back. Hey, optophobes. So Optophobia is a brand new show, and one thing we're learning about podcasting is that you can get vast amounts of data about your listeners very quickly, and that data helps convince potential sponsors that your show is worth investing in. Which brings me to some exciting news. After just a few episodes, it became clear from the data that Optophobia's audience is skewing older, actually really pretty old. Marketers have a category for our listener demographic, SHTBU, which is an acronym for still hanging in there, but uncomfortably. That seemed like a giant bummer at first, because podcasts are based primarily around hearing. But we decided to make the best of it, and we reached out to a new sponsor, an elder care community in Shalimar County, Florida, and they agreed to give us money. It's called The Polyps at Jonathan Winters. If you're a wise, venerable gray hair who other cultures revere and look to for sage advice for the greater collective, and who in America we treat like sad, gross garbage— you'll love The Polyps at Jonathan Winters. The Polyps at Jonathan Winters. We banned Shuffleboard and replaced it with dirty drinking games. Okay, we're back with our guest, Tabitha Walton. Tabitha, you were just getting to the mind control part of uh, your experience.
2: Yes. So it turns out that my clients that all had these odd filaments in either their wisdom tooth cavities or back, far back molars, we call them K42s. Uh, if they had those filaments, honestly, 99% of the people who had the filaments on the x ray also were hearing voices. And I'm talking about not just pleasant voices. They wanted these people to go back. Go back where? To Cagnew. They had all worked there at some point in time. I had a log. I had a log of 14 14 composition notebooks of all the accounts and all their stories and all the things that they heard. And I brought everything to, to Stephen's attention, Dr. Hopkins, and he said, Tabitha, there's nothing we can do. It's done. The process is over and i what do you mean what process what are you, what are you talking about and he just said just keep brushing your teeth i don't know if you know but underneath Cagnew, there's a is a large population of groundhogs did you know that
0: uh, no you didn't I know didn't that know i was
2: that. not aware yes if you if you do a thermal scan around you'll notice all these dots and they're, and then you can see all these little trails, the groundhogs. you know there's only a handful of engineers left there and and I think what they were doing was they were they were getting inside the mind of these groundhogs, but somehow they were using the groundhogs to extract the fluoride from the water. and then that how the people who worked and came of course to my dentist's office they were they were under the influence of this horrible horrible attack and I, after i left in 2003 you know i i said you know i packed my bags and i hit the road i took a bus north and i never looked back i never came back but i did have some my, my friend margaret who again was deeply disturbed by what had happened she continued to work there for a few more years and she herself She wasn't a composition journal type of gal. She was a spiral notebook gal. And she was keeping some accounts as well. And she called me and said, Tabitha, are you sitting down? And I said, no, but I will. And so I sat down. Mm -hmm. And she said, Tabitha, get out your notebooks and look at the names of the 43 clients who have had spots on their x-rays unidentifiable spots. And I got out my notebook and I said, what is it, Margaret? And she said, they are no longer patients of ours because they now have no teeth. Their teeth were completely disintegrated, destroyed over time. Why? Lack of fluoride.
0: So uh, just so that we're straight on what how the groundhogs work into this. The groundhogs are... Uh, in this kind of uh, lair underneath Cagnew's station. Yes. They drink the water underneath the station. Yes. They are then the people who are assigned.
2: Yes, assigned.
0: To that military their will, base. With, yeah. They
2: do the dirty work. Yes.
0: How does the fluoride transfer from the groundhog to these?
2: So what I think it is is actually is that it's the groundhog's are extracting the fluoride so they're the ones getting the fluoride out of the water because nobody's teeth just disintegrate particularly in america we have access daily city water to fluoride but being there the water supplier initially had fluoride in it to keep you know they were on assignment so they had rights as americans There was no evidence that this was ever something that the humans were directly involved in. That's why I believe that this is the Groundhogs. As I said, I'm interested in the occult. It's not super difficult to take over or get a sneak peek into another human's mind. And to get inside of an animal's mind is very simple. You lay down a few rocks, you strike a few matches, you say a prayer and that's it. You're there inside of a deer who is about to be shot by a fireman who is on his day off. So I think that they had the abilities, using their technology, using their lasers, to get inside the minds of these groundhogs to force them, without their knowledge, groundhogs just think, you know, they're digging around, making holes. So who is getting into the minds of the groundhogs? Is it a cabal of wizards? I honestly honestly deborah i think it could be i think it absolutely could be who are also stationed who were were stationed at cagnu hmm. if they're still there i don't know this is
1: very interesting this is very interesting and the the humans who have the implant yes were all stationed at cagnu at yes point.
2: all but three mm-hmm. were were
1: all but three were men three women just three. Mm. Yeah. And it's also interesting that you mentioned the molars because yes. if you look at concert footage from Hollow Notes, mm-hmm. they are constantly opening their mouth in such a way that it looks like they're adjusting some sort of device in the back of their m- – they're, they're paying a lot of attention to their back molars, sometimes maybe like rubbing their jaw – you and know, a little like a
2: little gyrating of the jaw, mm-hmm. like and a readjustment.
1: yes, so it makes me wonder if perhaps this is either tied to the Soviet Union. Yes, or if the Soviets had heard of the mind control device developed by this cabal of wizards hmm. and have hijacked it for their own nefarious purposes, spreading Soviet propaganda through literally the mouths of babes. Because Lord knows they are hot, even though they are evil.
2: It's disturbing. It's absolutely disturbing. And I wanted no part of it. I wish I could have been one to save them. But again, not a dentist. Cannot extract a tooth legally. I'm not allowed to extract those kinds of things. If I had the power to do so, I would have tried. But Dr. Hopkins, I think he was also afraid. Stephen was a good man. He was a good man. And I, and I wish him no ill will, no harm. But I wonder if he was also involved. Mm-hmm.
0: I was wondering that, too. Yeah. Did he disappear for lengths of time? Did he? Was there any suspicious behavior on Dr. Hopkins? Yes, part he would go he on was...
2: vacation for three weeks at a time, hmm. always in the winter. Hmm. He wanted to escape the cold. And he always came back with a bit of sun. But also, his, sometimes he would come straight from the airport and his bags would be dusty. I had no idea why. He never said where he went. He was a private guy. I never met any of his partners. Him and I were just friends.
0: You, you mentioned that he had a dog. Yes. Was there anything odd about the dog?
2: Well, I knew back then that Rufus was a bit off. So my Ruby, my Ruby, a Pomeranian Husky mix, lovely gal, rest her soul, she and she took on to Rufus. And Rufus, he always had his mouth open, even when he was drinking. Mm-hmm. He would just he would just lap water all over the place, all over his face, all over his paws, all over Ruby. It was a mess. And you know, Doctor Hopkins, being a dentist, you'd think, okay, maybe take him to a vet dentist. But he wouldn't. He was like, he's fine, just the way he is. But the way that Rufus would look at my Ruby sometimes, I just thought, like he was trying to penetrate her mind. But Ruby herself, she was a very strong-willed animal, mm,
1: mm-hmm. you know.
2: And since her passing, I've, I have had conversations with her. And she hasn't mentioned anything too suspicious other than Rufus trying to join in matrimony. Rufus wanted the two of them to get married. I don't know if you know this, but dogs are very... Dogs are monogamous. Hmm. And Ruby was a free... She was a free spirit, and she didn't want anything to do with it.
0: Have you done any research to see or try to find out whether groundhogs are native to Ethiopia or whether they were perhaps, I don't know, placed there by a government?
2: So that's a great question. Great question. They are not native. Huh. So growing up in Warren, Connecticut, groundhogs are everywhere. You can't pot a plant. You can't garden a garden without having a problem with groundhogs. You know what the trick is? Coffee grounds and tequila. They don't like them. So you spray it around and then they won't, they won't come and dig up your squash. So they, their body temperature is, it can be detected on a thermal camera. But when they're born, I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but they are viviparous animals, which means they have live young But their live young are kept in sacks, and those sacks are undetectable, particularly by the technology that was used back in the late 70s and early 80s. So it's very possible that the species that we have in America of groundhog were then brought over to Ethiopia because Mm. no such animal was ever recorded there before 1980. Mm. Hyenas? Yes. Groundhogs? Absolutely not. You know... Another animal
1: that has viviparous young, birthed in sacks. Yes. Dogs.
2: Yes. Rufus. Rufus. I didn't want to judge that dog. It's sometimes very easy to judge a dog by its by its snout, and I didn't want to do it. Mm-mm. And I obviously I should have.
0: We're almost out of time, but I I, I had one more question, yes. Tabitha. Where is Doctor Hopkins now?
2: It's hard to say. It's hard for me to say out loud. Because I did respect him, and I want to respect him, and I and I and I, he was a great employer. I always had benefits. I mean, I'm talking good benefits. These teeth, all crowns, free. Good benefits. But I. He now works at, no longer in the public sector of dentistry. He now is in the private sector, and he has his own personal office in the basement of the Pentagon, and. That information is public. You could look it up on your Google. And I, I, I do wonder if he is, his mind has been penetrated. His mind has been tainted mm. by whatever his involvements have been with this very unfortunate series of events. There has been a recent outbreak of groundhogs in D.C. Have you heard that? They're young. They're young groundhogs, but they will grow. I wonder if Stephen, if he went back to Cagnew and got some of those groundhogs that were, you know, fertile, and brought them back. I still have some friends who are in the, denti- the dental industry, and there's a rise on cavities. And that could be an indication that there is a lack of fluoride.
0: So every American's teeth potentially are in danger.
2: At risk. Absolutely. If
1: the Russians want one thing, it's for us not to be able to chew our food.
2: Exactly. Or they, they just want us to eat, you know, mushy beets for the rest of our lives. I won't do it.
1: I refuse to.
2: You're a real patriot, Tabitha. Corn on the cob every day.
1: Like a good American girl.
0: Thank you. Well, this has been completely fascinating. I knew very little about the, the netherworld of Cagnoe.
2: It's deep. Groundhogs can really dig.
0: I want to thank our guest this week, Tabitha Walton. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming.
2: Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And thank you to my regular co-host this week, Deborah. You can pick up Deborah's amazing new book, I Can't Go for Mind Control, No Can Do, Hall Oats and the Soviet Roots of Blue-Eyed Soul, in free-thinking bookstores. Next week, we will talk to Rhoda Bleak Taffy, a Pepperidge Farm truck driver from Groover, Iowa, Rhoda believes she's uncovered evidence that Stonehouse housed a space-time portal that led directly to the headquarters of the USSR's Committee for State Security, which you and I know of as the KGB. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I'm Edward Mulhare, and I will leave you with this. Be good to the land, for it presumes dusk's promise. Thank you to Erin Murray, who played Tabitha Walton. Erin performs on Washington Improv Theatre House Ensemble, Madeline. She can also be seen on indie teams The Lodge, Cruise Control, and upcoming performances of In lieu of Flowers. Check out her Instagram at Ernie B. Murray for upcoming shows. Liz Sanders played Deborah. Liz also performs with Madeline. If you've got theories about what was really going on at CAG News Station, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Keep them open.